Welcome to the podcast, Risk Intelligence, with your host, Karen Adamsbaum. She will be sharing her knowledge on common insurance questions, coverage explanations, claim scenarios, and interviews with brokers, clients, and colleagues to discuss various topics in the insurance industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Risk Intelligence. And today I'm going to do something a little different. I actually brought one of my partners here with me. His name is Charlie Stern, and he is from Socius. Charlie and I met each other probably about five, six years ago while he was working at another firm, and uh, we had a lot of dialogue. We wrote a lot of business together, and then we stayed uh, in contact on LinkedIn, and here we are today. Um, he still is a partner of mine, somebody I rely on uh, with all of his education, and today what I'd like to do is have Charlie talk about his experiences and his knowledge when it comes to EPL coverage. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really happy uh, to be here and excited to talk about EPLI. It's uh, something I do every single day. Uh, So it's literally I live and breathe every day, so I'm excited to get a chance to talk about it. Um, So I can kind of go over generally what EPL is. Uh, It stands for Employment Practices Liability, and it covers firms in case they're employees or a third-party customer, client, vendor, file suit against them for basically three general areas. It's wrongful termination, sexual harassment, and discrimination. Um, And those are three pretty big topics, and there's a lot that goes into those three topics. claims, I guess you could say. So what is um, a precaution that an employer can have to help them keep their claims down? Sure. So it's interesting in the marketplace right now because a lot of claims that are getting paid out where the plaintiff that's filing suit are winning is because employers lack really basic risk management procedures to protect them from these claims. Are they putting an employee manual in place? Do they have written guidelines on appropriate workplace behavior? Do they have an outlet or some sort of resource that their employees can turn to when they're feeling discriminated against, when they're feeling harassed? Because a lot of times when employees do feel harassed or discriminated against, if they don't have those outlets, There's a general fear that they're not going to report it, and it builds up over a long period of time, and they have so much information, so much um, recordings of incidents that occurred that when it gets to the legal standpoint, it's very tough to defend that type of claim. And if you have those resources, if you have those outlets early on, you can prevent a lot of these claims from occurring. So if I understand you correctly, having an employee handbook and when you hire somebody, making sure that they read that handbook, they sign it, and 
um, at uh, interview time, it's it's revealed, and also throughout the year, uh, job performance time, it is good to always revert back to that employee handbook. That would help keep the claims down for that employer. Is that correct? Absolutely. And making it visible to the employees, making them know that they have these resources that they can turn to. Because when a claim does come in, the first thing that a defense attorney or the first thing that an insurance carrier is going to say is, well, what, what um, procedures or what sort of outlets have you given your employees to prevent these things from happening? And if your answer is nothing, then that's a really hard claim to defend and it can open the door for multiple claims. We have one employee that says, I felt this way, I went a settlement, and another employee says, you know, when I was working at that firm, I, ha- I went through the same thing. I went through the same discrimination. I went through the same um, harassment. I'm going to file suit. And you have a lot of these copycat type of lawsuits coming in, and it can spiral out of control very quickly. Let me ask you this. Let's, let's look at it from a standpoint of not in the workplace, but let's say um, an employer has a website and somebody wanted to review that website, are there any uh, restrictions or guidelines that that employer should have to make sure that there's no discrimination from somebody looking at that website? So this is actually pretty interesting. Um, We've been seeing more claims filed against general insureds if you have a website that's not ADA compliant. So if you have videos on your website that don't have subtitles talking about what's going on in the video. For a deaf person, they can file suit because your website's not ADA compliant. Um, Again, if you are blind and your website doesn't have some sort of voice activated system to read what's on the website, they can file suit because your website's not ADA compliant. So while insureds think that they're doing uh, a better job marketing themselves, getting themselves out on the internet, as society evolves, and changes, they have to be more aware of rules and guidelines and laws out there that they have to be compliant with for third-party clients that are coming to them. Very interesting. So EPLI is not just about the employer and the employee relationship. The employer also has to look at his overall audience to make sure that a suit is not brought against them. It's very interesting from a third-party claim because as different demographics, different genders, different ages come into your shop or go to your place of work, it's hard to keep the same level of service consistent among everybody that walks in. And one person may feel like they're not getting the proper service that they deserve, they're seeing another person getting treated better, or if you're on a restaurant and people are getting seated before you, and you're realizing there's something different between us, is that why? Those are just third-party claims that come in all the time um, that, that insurers have to think about. All right. So that, that's, uh, that's something that is for it, – it's new to me. I didn't, never thought of it from a website standpoint. So what I wanted to do was just uh, – Again, this this topic is very interesting, but the idea of the podcast for risk intelligence is is that I don't want them to be, you know, 30 minutes, an hour long. So 
Charlie is definitely going to come back. We're going to talk more about EPLI, but what I wanted to leave with today is one final question, and that is how are attorneys accepting these cases? Are they looking at a possible case and saying, there's no way that you have a claim, or are they accepting it and saying, you know what, you don't have a lot of strong here, but we're going to take on the case because you can probably get some sort of funds without going all the way. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. So with every single lawsuit that comes in, there's two sides. There's the plaintiff and there's the defendant. A lot of plaintiff attorneys, you see billboards driving down the highway that say, we don't get paid unless you get paid. And so these attorneys are taking cases to get a quick settlement, a quick 50000 a quick $75,000. They take a third of it. But as you, as the insured, you're the defendant. And as soon as that claim comes in, you're on the clock. You're paying the lawyer's fees. And they can go up very, very quickly. And, we're see- and they can be even more expensive than just paying out the settlements. Um, and so these policies, paying the $1,000, the $2,500 policy on the front end, this is your lawyer fee. That's your one-time payment for a entire lawyer fee that could rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars. So as an insured, the last thing, thing that you have to think about, especially with this coverage, is this policy doesn't just pay if you lose. This pays for all the fraudulent claims that come in, all the lawyer's fees that you have to entail, they, the carriers are the ones that are taking on this burden. Um, so from a risk management standpoint, the small price you pay on the front end is much less than what you would do if you went without this coverage. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Charlie, for joining me today. And again, to my audience, uh, Charlie will definitely be back, uh, if not talking about EPLI coverage, but other management liability coverages that he's very, very knowledgeable with. Uh, I hope this information was helpful and you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Risk Intelligence. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and connect on LinkedIn by doing a search on Karen Adamsbaugh.